0: Well, good morning, and to all you dads, Happy Father's Day. This is going to be a great day. I recently read about a group of guys that uh, posted on Craigslist a, a request for a generic dad to come to their party and barbecue hamburgers and hot dogs, and they, the ad listed several, like, dad activities that the guy needed to be proficient in, among them grilling hamburgers and hot dogs. They wanted him to refer to everybody at the party as big guy, chief, sport, champ, you know, etc. cetera. Uh, he needed to talk about dad things like lawnmowers and building decks and Jimmy Buffett. Apparently that's a dad thing. Additional requirements, they, they asked for 18 years' experience as a father and at least 10 years of grilling experience, and they preferred the name Bill, Randy, or Dave. Now, the ad went viral, and they were interviewed, and in that interview, they said, Well, has, has anything changed? Have you figured anything else? And they said, Well, actually, yeah, we would like for Bill Murray to be the one. I mean, I, his name's Bill. So I guess that makes sense. But that ad got me thinking. If you advertised for a father, what, what characteristics would be important to you? Would you order up a grill master? Would, would, would you want him to tell bad dad jokes and call people by silly names? Or would you seek one that was nothing like the one God gave you? That, that, that's the tricky part, isn't it? You know there's one big command, a direct command that made the top ten that sets the tone for the parent-child relationship. Do you know what it is? It's Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Here's here's what it says. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now that is commandment number five. And I don't know if you've thought about how the commands work, but the first four give us the principles for loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. The next six provide for us the fundamentals of how we love others as we love ourselves. The first of those six essentially says, children, honor your father, and God will bless you. Now, I'm I'm not totally comfortable disagreeing with God. But if you think about it, this is pretty surprising that in the primary verse in Scripture that deals with the parent-child relationship, or should I say child-parent relationship, that God puts the onus on the kids to get it right. Have you thought about that? Now, it's true that that verse was handed down in a very different time. Our kid-centric view of parenting is drastically different from their patriarchal society. That's all true. But this is one of the big ten, and it is timeless. So so what's going on here? I, I think there are two things that we need to pay attention to. First, he is talking to sons and daughters. And this verse means exactly what it says. Children, no matter their age, are to honor their fathers and mothers. Now, this word honor, I did some search to be sure, like, does it mean what we think it does? And it's the word kabod in Hebrew. And it means to enrich something or give weight to. It's giving someone something that they do not have. We honor our fathers and mothers to be a blessing to them, conferring on them respect they do not have and maybe even do not deserve. That's what we have to see. Honoring our parents is what we are commanded to do. Now, if we... Pull back from that a moment, we need to recognize this. This is a nod to the fact that while we can't control our circumstances, we are accountable before God to how we respond to our circumstances. Now, this opens up a host of questions for, for some who have struggled with their parents. And, and I understand that. And it's beyond the scope of our talk today to deal with all of those things. But I would say that we need to understand the command. And if it is a struggle to honor your father and mother, then you need to pray through it. Ask God for wisdom, because we can't negate his instructions. So first, that command obviously says what it says. Second, the implication of this command is that parents are intimately involved in that process. Parents have some responsibility here. While the choice to honor is ultimately with the child, parents should live in such a way that it's an easy choice for the child to make. Parents, if you love your children, then you should strive to be the kind of person that makes that command a joy to follow. See, to live an honorable life with and before your kids is a privilege and responsibility of every adult that has been graced with the sacred gift of a child. That command to honor you as a parent should not be a burden to your child. Part of that responsibility is on you and me. See, we know it's our responsibility because, as I said, children of any age should honor their parents. And how do young children learn to honor their parents? Who's going to teach them? We are. We have to show them what it means. We have to model what it means to honor parents. Now, as you know, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. And he's the servant of God who was called to spearhead the effort to lead the people of Jerusalem from a state of disgrace, because the city was in ruins, to a state of grace. His call was to re-grace, bring about the blessing of God on the people. And the task was to rebuild the wall to restore the rightful splendor of God's holy city and... Now, I want you to think about this, because here's the connection. And to enable the children to live long in the land God had given them. See, in, in the state of things as they were, there was no chance that people could live long in the land God had given them. So Nehemiah went there to lead the people, parents, to create an environment cooperating with God's vision where their children could live long in that land. Jerusalem was a huge city, and there was no way that Nehemiah could rebuild that wall alone. He had to recruit and at times inspire the inhabitants of the promised land to finish the job. Now, after laying out the vision for what they all could do, the people jumped in immediately to join the work to no one's surprise opposition forces wasted no time mobilizing against them but the momentum of a good start and with the wisdom of god to seek god's blessing the people stayed the course and did their jobs now if you have your bibles we're going to look at several verses from nehemiah chapter 4 so you can turn your bibles or on your phones to nehemiah chapter 4 Now, I want you to look first at verse 6. This is kind of like we're going to take a break and assess what has happened. Nehemiah 4, 6 says, So we rebuilt the wall, this is Nehemiah talking, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Now, obviously, it's a big deal. They had half the job done, and at this halfway point, the word of their remarkable feat began to spread, and the enemies redoubled their efforts to stop the work. Now, if you remember the original three stooges, their names were Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They now enlisted the help of an army of resistors. So those three enlisted, according to verse 7, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, and they all began to plot together to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble because they knew if the people were experiencing trouble, if they could scare them, they would stop the work. Now with this threat, and all the people knew about the threat, with the threat, and The momentum of a great start having dissipated. You know how you're like really energetic to start something new? You're excited, you catch the vision, you want to get started. And then after that energy kind of goes away, you realize, ooh, there's a lot of work to be done. That happened at the halfway point. All that momentum, the energy of that momentum dissipated. And what happened was the people began to waver Look at verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble, we can't rebuild the wall. So understand what's happening here. They're halfway home, they're like right there, all around the whole wall. Up to half its height. But the adrenaline of that fresh start has worn away. And they're tired. What happens when we get tired? Listen, this is true. When we get tired, we begin to lose sight of the vision. And we start seeing the obstacles. What did they see? Everywhere they looked, they saw rubble. Now, let's just stop. Let's think a minute. Where did the rubble come from? It came from when the walls were destroyed. Right? So, did it just appear? No. The rubble had been there all along. But when they were energized and they had vision and they believed in what God was calling them to do it was just an obstacle. But as they grew weary and they lost their vision their eyes turned naturally from what could be to what was and they looked around and saw all that rubble and they said we it's this is impossible. But it wasn't impossible. The rubble had always been there, but only in their fatigue and the loss of vision did it become the seemingly insurmountable impediment to their jobs. Now in verse 11, the enemies renewed their threats. And in verse 12, the people are shaken. Look at Nehemiah 4.12 Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, like, okay, after four, we've got it. No, they said it ten times over. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Wherever you look, we're going to be attacked. We are doomed. Look, these were desperate times. And it fell to Nehemiah, the one who was called by God to lead the people to do everything he could to reestablish momentum and vision for the task. And so what did they do? We talked about last week, he armed the people and put them in places along the wall where they were most vulnerable to attack. Then Nehemiah walked around and took inventory and delivered a speech that changed their perspective He implored them to catch a vision for what was most important. Now, I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, because here's the speech. After I looked things over, he walked around and saw the state of things, and he saw the rubble, but, you know, Nehemiah wasn't afraid to see what he saw. He had the courage to identify the challenges, but also recognize that they represented opportunities. So after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, they're all there, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. This is the land that God has given us to live in. This is the land that if our children are honoring their fathers and mothers, they will live long in this land, and right now it is time for us to step up and do something honorable. Now there were three things they needed to do to equip their kids their children, their families, to honor them. What were they? Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Fight for your families. That was it. Now, let's let's just take a step back here and recognize what's happening. He takes it all in. And what did he see? He saw good reasons for concern. He saw legitimate reasons for fear, panic, and even the desire to quit and perhaps even flee. That was all that that was happening. They saw an impossible task. They were being attacked, they thought they were, from every conceivable angle, they were exhausted, they had given their whole heart to the project, and they were only halfway through. Listen, every time you read in Scripture, do not fear, there's always the presence of a reason to be afraid. They had reasons to be afraid. It would have been understandable for anyone to react the way these people were reacting. We can't do it. It's impossible. We're exhausted and we're going to die trying at the hands of our enemies. They were focused on the obstacles because they lost sight of the goal. But Nehemiah, as the leader, understood that now was the time to get them to refocus on what was most important. And what was it? Their families, restoring God's grace so their families could live long in the land God promised them to reestablish their vision for the preferred Future for their families, Nehemiah said, Look up. God wants your children, the future generations, to honor you, so do something honorable. Three things, do not be afraid, remember the Lord, and fight for your family. Let's talk about those. First, do not be afraid. Did you know that that phrase is the most common command in Scripture? Do not be afraid. As a matter of fact, it's in there 365 times. I don't know if you're connecting the dots or not, but I'll help. That's one a day. One for every day. Do not be afraid. Now, it's important to recognize that this is not a prohibition against having or experiencing fear. As a matter of fact, fear is natural and often helpful. It is a natural, helpful response to threatening circumstances. The command is not against having Fear. We can no longer stop, no more stop the experience of fear than we can stop the wind. It happens. The command is against operating in fear. That's the prohibition. So you can acknowledge it. It's never honorable to pretend you have no fear. As a matter of fact, the way to train your children to deal with fear is to be honest about when you're experiencing fear. It's crazy to think otherwise. But what we have to avoid is allowing fear to call the shot. Allowing fear to become our God. Because when fear controls you, it immobilizes you. You're frozen. So don't let fear cause you to shut down. That was the challenge at that point for Nehemiah and the wall builders. They were afraid. They were afraid they couldn't finish. They were afraid they were going to be attacked. So they wanted to quit. Fear is a reality. It can be a helpful reality, or it can be a very destructive reality. What you have to do when you experience fear is first acknowledge it, that's what I'm experiencing, and then listen to what it's telling you, what is fear warning you about, and then allow its message to augment your strategy or behavior if necessary. That is exactly what Nehemiah and the wall builders did. They changed their strategy. When they first started, they were all about building the wall. But then, when they recognized the threat from the Three Stooges and all their friends, they took protective measures. The people had their swords or spears in one hand, and they were stacking bricks with the other. So did it slow the work down? Absolutely. But did it enable the work to continue? Absolutely. They may have changed their strategy, but they kept going. All of that happened because they wisely assessed the message of the fear. What was the message? You are in danger. The threat is real. Don't stop, but do something about it. They never stopped building. They never stopped building. They had a little bit of a loss of vision, they took a little bit of a break, but they got themselves sorted out, received the message from fear, and kept going. Having healthy respect for fear is honorable. Naming it God is dishonorable. Allowing fear to control you can short-circuit, will short-circuit, the great work that God is calling you to do. Every time. Now, let's practically work this out a moment. How, how do we apply this idea in our parenting? Well, we have to assess what happens when we're, as parents, when we are afraid. It, it really depends on how fear affects you as a parent. Okay, so on one side, there could be people that are so afraid that they never say yes. Yes. There are times where you should allow your children to take some risks that will expose them to hardships that will make them stronger. Okay? Don't be so afraid that you say no to everything. Sometimes you trust God, you trust your child, and you say yes even in the presence of fear. Now, On the other hand, there are parents who are always afraid to say no. Now, what's driving that? They don't want their children to be angry with them or not to be their friends. So in fear, their children get to do whatever they want to do. That isn't honorable either. It certainly doesn't help the child understand how the world works or their place in the world. So, what's the point? Figure out what fear does to you. Does it make you want to shelter and say no to everything? Or does it cause you to fear losing your child and say you say yes to everything which will almost guarantee that you lose them? Having fear is one thing, operating it is another. Identify what triggers your fear and then deal with it. Trust God, keep parenting. For the people of Jerusalem, that meant they had to trust God and keep building in spite of their fear. If they had allowed their fear to stop them from building, They would have never honorably done their part to enable their children to live long in the land. Part of the responsibility was theirs. So, he said, do not be afraid. Second, Nehemiah instructed them to remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Now, we we need to remember that these were people of faith. As a matter of fact, many of the people that Nehemiah was dealing with had come with Ezra, the priest, who returned to Jerusalem. King Cyrus gave him permission to rebuild the temple, to reestablish their ability to worship in the land that God had given them. So they had a story. They had a faith. They knew that God opened the door and enabled them to... Do the unthinkable, and that's re the temple. They knew what God had done. Some of the Jews had been there before Ezra returned. All the people he was talking to were Jews, and they all knew they had a unifying story Of how God's mighty hand had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, sustained them through the wilderness, and then gave them the land he promised them. All of them knew those stories, all of them knew what God had done, but they weren't all actively remembering the stories. They weren't all remembering the Lord. They weren't remembering that the God of their past was the God of their present. And they were giving up. See, overcoming their fear and building the wall required a measure of faith. They had to remember what God had done so they could believe in what God was doing. And that God would do it again. Now as parents, the honorable choice is to stand firmly in the faith and consistently show that you remember God who is great and awesome. Now, how do we do that? By faithfully telling the stories. And when the time comes, by living in the faith That or by the faith that is inspired by those stories. Do you remember what Moses instructed the Hebrews to do as they anticipated moving into the promised land? Listen to what he said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. He said, he's talking to parents here. These are the commandments that I give you today. They're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Now, okay, let's just stop right there for a second. You know these commandments weren't written down. They were on the couple of rocks, I think, and stored. They didn't all have a copy of the 10 commandments. They didn't. Yet the charge was to impress them on their children. Can you do that if you don't have a copy? Yeah, if you know them. If you're familiar with God's word, you can impress it on your children. Look what he said. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, ultimately they were to move from having them in their head to having them on the wall. So, they would be impressed in the hearts of their children. That's what it means to remember God. You remember his work and you remember his word. And that when when you remember God, you are sharing it with your children. That's what it means. The honorable thing to do is to impress the truth upon your children. <clears throat> And to do that, you have to know it. And you have to live it. Now, none of us are perfect. But all of us should embrace the vision of living, teaching, impressing the Lord in the hearts of our children. Remember the Lord. Parents, are you in position to impress God's word, God's truth, and God's wisdom on the hearts of your children? Do not be afraid Remember the Lord. And third, fight for your families. Now, he didn't say fight your families. That's that, that not the idea. As a matter of fact, dads, the scripture tells us not to exasperate our children. In other words, don't badger, belittle, argue, fight with your children. Not it. Fight for families your families. The command is that when we face a threat to the family, we are to step up to the plate and fight. With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know how the people started out rebuilding the wall, I to say they built with all their heart. They were fighting for their families. Listen, there are forces that are seeking to destroy the family just as much today as they were then. There are forces that do not want our children to occupy the land that the Lord has given us. And we have to fight for the preservation of the family and our families. Nehemiah was talking to a group group of people that was facing enormous obstacles and in fear and the lack of faith those obstacles were literally destroying the people's vision and could potentially destroy the family but nehemiah reminded them that the family is the vision their families were most important. He called them to sacrifice, not to sacrifice their families for themselves, but to sacrifice themselves for their families and the future. For future generations to live in the land God had given them. Listen, that is the honorable thing to do. And when we Choose not to bow to fear when we remember the Lord and we fight for our families, then we are equipping our children to honor their parents and live long in the land the Lord their God is giving them. Parents, listen do not fear. Now, what did I say a few moments ago? Every time you hear that, you know there's the presence of things to be afraid of. It's true today. It's crazy out there and getting crazier. But do not fear. Remember the Lord He is overcome. We can do all things. We can build the walls that protect the families. We can do all things through the Lord who gives us strength. Remember the Lord. He led the way, providing the model of what sacrifice means. He gave himself that we could be connected to our Creator and have the opportunity to an abundant life, a a life which is equivalent to the land the Lord was giving them. The Lord, through Jesus Christ, has equipped us and our children in future generations to live the abundant life. Fight for it. Do not cower. Know the truth. Impress wisdom on your kids. Honor God. And trust Him. It begins with faith in the one who has overcome. You know, just as Nehemiah took like that break at the halfway point and rallied the troops. Did you know that as Jesus came to the end of his ministry, there was a time where he took a break and he got recharged for the mission? It happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus went up to the top of the mountain. There he was. The glory of God came upon him. The disciples saw Oh. Okay, this is, this is divinity. Why was he there? Because in that moment, God actually sent Moses and Elijah to talk with him. Why? Because Jesus was anxious, fearful about what was going to happen. And they encouraged him in that meeting to finish the task. To stay the course. To sacrifice himself. For the forgiveness of our sins. And the hope of eternal life. In the land that God has prepared for us. Listen, placing your faith in Jesus suffered and died for the forgiveness of our sins that's where all of this begins that's where a life of meaning and hope begins it's where we establish honor and when we live honorably we are equipping the next generation our families to know the blessings living in such a way that your children have great joy in following obediently to God's command to honor their father. And the Lord. It's like the most important thing we can do. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we're, we're so thankful for the opportunity to influence the next generation. Lord, if there's anyone here today who hasn't started by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day of their conversion, or their change from hopelessness and fear and confusion and doubt to victory. We're thankful for Jesus' sacrifice. And I pray for those who need to place their faith in Him that today would be the day. And Lord, for those of us who know You, pray that you would give us the wisdom and the ability to live honorably for your glory and for the sake of the next generation in Christ's name I pray